You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. We have been looking at the laws of the new covenant. We know that the church is not under the law of Moses, but the church still has laws. The New Testament has laws. And we found five distinct laws mentioned in the New Covenant, the New Testament. The first one being the law of faith. This is our primary law in the New Covenant, the law of faith. We talked about the law of the Spirit and the law of righteousness. Not the law of sin and death, but the law of righteousness. We believe that talking about sin does not keep you from sinning. It makes you sin more. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I need a little help here today. The law of righteousness, if you, if you focus on righteousness, it causes your, your, your life to line up with what is right. And you're more likely to live for God, live a righteous life by talking and majoring on the righteousness that is in you than the sin. Then we talked about the law of the tithe the last time, which was two weeks ago. I'm giving this recap because I wasn't here last Sunday. And then finally, the law of Christ. And this finishes our series on the laws of the new covenant. I'm talking about the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Let's read together. Galatians 6, 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So he tells us what the law of Christ really is, bearing one another's burdens. This is the law of Christ, bearing one another's burdens. To fulfill the law of Christ, that means you have to be, you have to be connected to other people. Dang, you thought it was going to be easy, didn't you? <laughs> you thought the law of Christ meant you just got to be connected to Him. No. No. The law of Christ is enforced when we are connected to other people. And I'm going to talk to you today about what that means. And I need to remind you that in the day when He said that, bear you one another's burdens, there were no cell phones. There was no Facebook. No computers at all, no radios, not even any telegraph. There wasn't even the U.S. Postal Service. News about somebody having a burden didn't travel very fast. So this is not talking about you bearing the burdens of somebody in another country. This is talking about being part of a community where you know these people that have trouble. And that is the, the genius of God in creating something called the local church. How many of you are glad to be in the local church today? Praise God. Let's begin with Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Hebrews 10, 23. We are launching pad for this morning's message. I guess we've already launched, but the first point I want to make, first idea we want to discuss, comes from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Listen, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another 
and so much more as ye see the day approaching. But exhorting one another, and so much more as ye see the day approaching. Verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sins. Now I want you to notice something. Basically 25 and 26 says this, Stay hooked up to the church. Stay, don't, don't, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a man of some is. So he's saying, stay in church. And then verse 26 is commentary on that. This word for is a, is a neat little Greek word and just means, and here is why. Here is why. The, the conditions for the commentary on, chapter, on verse 25 about staying in church, staying hooked up to the body, is found in verse 26. It says, For if we sin willfully. Wow. I've had lots of people ask me about this verse of Scripture through the years. What does it mean to willful sin? It says, If you sin willfully, there, there's no more sacrifice for sin. That means you can't be forgiven. No, 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 no. Please stay off the internet when it comes to theological ideas. <laughs> I went to college a long time to, to learn better than that stupidity. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is. For if we sin willfully, we, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. What that means is, if you lay out a church, if you stay away from the body of Christ long enough, you'll find yourself drying up. And there is no other place to go to get forgiveness. You know they're not talking about forgiveness of sins down at the local school. They're talking about expulsion. They're not talking about forgiveness of sins up there in the White House. They act like sin doesn't exist in the White House. They're not talking about forgiveness of sins down on your job. Where do they talk about the forgiveness of sins in this world? The church. The church is where that happens. The church is where the forgiveness of sins takes place. The church. It says there remains no sacrifice for sins. This makes it sound like, what is the sacrifice for sin? Anybody remember? One thing, blood. Blood is the sacrifice for sin. It says if there remains no sacrifice for sins, what are you going to do if you willfully sinned? Just get to church. Just get to church. I know this sounds funny to some of you, but you need to understand that the church is more than just a building and more than just a group of people. God sees His church as His body. It's also called the body of Christ. Amen. Now listen to me. Listen to me closely. If blood is a sacrifice, if blood is a sacrifice for sin, and you are a body, where does the blood of Christ flow? Through the body. Think about that. Think about what's happening to you right now, right now, right now. In the spiritual realm, God is seeing you being here as a recipient of the flow of the blood of Christ flowing through us right now. That's good. And he says there remains no sacrifice. There is no other place. That means there's nothing going on at the temple that's going to help you. Nothing going on down there at the local Jewish synagogue is going to help you. That's what he's telling these Hebrews. He said this is the blood of Christ flows one place in his body. He keeps his blood the same place you keep yours. 
in his body. This is really powerful. It's a spiritual thing, but it's a powerful thing. That the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus is in the church. Amen. If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Now, so I want to say this one thing to you. Maintain close fellowship with your local church. Maintain close fellowship with your local church. I think it's pretty important just to stay in church. Say, I'm, I'm here, praise God. I, I may not have an offering to bring today, but I'm here. Amen. I may not have a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual. I may not have that much to contribute, but I'm here, praise God. Amen. I may not be the best citizen in town, but I'm here in church today, praise God. I'm here. The blood's flowing through me, praise God. I may not have much to offer, but I'm here. I don't know if it was Henry Ford or one of the great industrialists said 95% of, of success is just showing up. Yeah. <laughs> just be there. How many of you are glad you came today? <laughs> Man, I'm here today, praise God. Of all days, I'm here. The golden plover is a bird about the size of a chicken that lives in two states of this great 50 states that we have. Contrary to the White House, we do not, do not have 57. There are only 50. <laughs> Harvard. This bird lives in Alaska and Hawaii. What a life. He lives in Alaska all summer long and in Hawaii all winter long. How many of you would like that life? I mean, that wouldn't be too bad. And he flies back and forth between Alaska and Hawaii twice a year. Chicken-sized bird he is, the golden plover. Everybody say plover. plover. There you go. P-L-O-V-E-R, just like Glover, plover. Now the plover is an interesting bird. He flies from Hawaii to Alaska and Alaska to Hawaii, like I say, twice a year. And that is 4,500 miles. Now what they tell us that, uh, what the ornithologists, these are the bird scientists who have cut this bird open and looked at him. They, they figured out that this bird can store 70 hours worth of flight fuel in his body. So they get all fattened up, really fat, you know, get all, all fattened up real nice and plump, and they take off on the trip, take off flying on the trip. And they fly 4,500 miles with no stops in between. It's a 70, they got 70 hours of flight fuel, but here's the miracle, it's a 90-hour flight. And he's 20 hours short of fuel. But every year he makes it. They do their breeding and hatching and all that they do, and they go back. Every year they make it on 20 hours short of flight fuel. How do they do it? Well, the golden plover knows what every believer ought to know. <laughs> that when you're faced with an impossible task, you don't go alone. Amen. The plover flies with other plovers. <laughs> Come on, somebody say other plovers. He flies with other plovers. <laughs> and they do something, they utilize something called the draft. They're drafting. And the wings of the plover in front of the, the other plover, they, they cur it curls up a, a draft and it pulls him along. And that draft increases as, as they go. And it's a, there's, there's some lift to it too. It one side of that 
B is always longer than the other. Do you know why that it is? There's more birds in that side. Anyway, anyway, they they flying south, flying south for the winter. They knew that in Texas. Y'all don't know that in Oklahoma. I'm sure. Too, bu too busy playing football up here. Praise God. Prover number one's working real hard. Prover number two, he's not working quite so hard. Prover number three's a little easier for. Prover number 15's getting a free ride to Hawaii. You know, I mean, he's <laughs> you not know, having to do anything. He's just pulling him along. But they peel off. That point peels off every so often, and everybody gets a turn at the point. Hmm. And they turn that 70 hours flight fuel into a 90 hour flight because they don't go alone. Jesus did not say, pick one person and say, win the world. He created a church to win the world because He knew that we could do more together than we could ever do by ourselves. Stay connected to the local church. Stay connected to the local church. Maintain close fellowship with your local church. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14, For all the law, Galatians 5, 14 and 15 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Galatians 5, 15 says, But if ye bite and devour one another with a fellowship with the Lord, it's possible to be consumed in church. You've heard it. Some of you may have been hurt in church. I hope you never get hurt in this church. Unless Miss Ann gets mad at you, you're not ever going to be hurt in this church. <laughs> you don't want her mad at you. <laughs> Been there, done that, got the t-shirt and everything. <laughs> no, people get hurt in church because of things people say to them. Mostly it's about what we say to each other. And God created the church to be a, to be a, a place where you develop friendships that you would die for. Friendships that you would die for. If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. I say then, based on that truth in that scripture, we should, number two, make your best friends those in the church. Amen. And if you can't change best friends, make your, make your best friend change churches. <laughs> Get involved with somebody so that you are really tied to your church and your best friends come from the church. I, uh, I love the stories of the Alamo. There's lots of stories of the Alamo. But we always know of Jim Bowie and you know, David Crockett and Colonel Travis. But there's one guy that was really very heroic. That was a guy named Jim Bonham, James Bonham. There's a town in Texas named after him. What got me thinking about him is I, I started doing some research on him. There's lots of stories and conflicting stories about him. But the, the main story that goes around about him is that he fought his way through enemy, enemy lines to get out so he could, so he could get word to 
Fannin and Houston and some of the others about needing help in the Alamo. And he fought his way back through, had to dodge and shoot and get back through the enemy lines to get back into the Alamo to three days later to die with them. And he did it, he did it all for one reason, because his best friend in the world was his second cousin, a guy by the name of William Travis. He wouldn't listen to anybody about the Alamo being a lost cause. He went back to be there with his best friend. Hmm. You'll do things for a friend that you really love and you know really loves you that you wouldn't do for anybody else. Right up to the point of giving your life for them. I have a few people in my life that I would readily, easily die for, but wouldn't bother me at all, especially at my age. I think, man, if I'm going to do any more, I don't know what I'd be. <laughs> I'm busy, busy, busy all the time. But I, uh, I find that there's a greater cause in my life than living. You get a certain point in your life, you realize there's something better to do with your life than just live it. Amen. Give it. Give your life. In your heart, give it up so that you're not having to hold on and make sure everything is good for you. You live your life in a way to, to, to serve others who are your friends. Jesus said, I'm no longer going to call you my servants, but now I'm calling you my friends. Amen. And I, he, he laid down his life for his friends. So make your best friends those in the church. That When that happens, you'll become a hero. You'll do things in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus you would not have done otherwise if you didn't have close friends in the church. Come on, somebody understand what I'm saying here today? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Wow whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation or the purpose of their life, the way, their manner of life. Obey them, verse 17 in Hebrews 13 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for what that is unprofitable for you. Then down in verse 24 it says, Salute all them that have the rule over you and, uh, and all the saints. So, uh, it's just talking about those, there are people in our lives who taught us the Word of God who have the rule over us. The Bible considers those in spiritual authority the ones who really have the rule of your life. Because if you live spiritually one way and socially another way, you are living in misery. That's right. The best way to live your life is to live spiritually congruent with your social life. Amen. Thank you for one single amen. <laughs> Praise God. Did I show up at the wrong church this morning or something? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Obey them that have the rule over you. Salute them. So what, what I'm going to say to you here is march in step with your leaders. Fulfilling the law of Christ is being willing to march in step with your leaders. Because it, it's all about being in a local community, a community of faith, a community of love, a kingdom of love, and a, and a constitution of faith. That is, that's what the church and the new covenant is really all about. The law of Christ means that we are part of a community of love and we march in step with our leaders. A uh, couple of centuries ago, I guess, it might have just been one century ago, the, the British were fighting in the Far East trying to establish the nation of Nepal. They had these guys called the Gurkhas. The Gurkhas were like 
really, really bad Green Berets. You, if you ever studied anything about the Gurkhas, they would do anything. They was a fighting man's fighting man. And the British called on them on numerous occasions to do unthinkable things, and they would do them. One time, the Brits needed somebody to jump from a plane, jump from a plane, so this had to be after the planes were invented, so I don't know, I don't know, I didn't get the dates on it, this story my friend told me. He said, the British uh, commander came to them and said, we need you to jump from a plane, would you be willing to jump? They said, well, what are the conditions? He said, well, we just need to know if you'll jump from a plane into this certain area. And they first said, no, I don't think we can do that. And he was, uh, he was appalled. He, he couldn't believe they wouldn't jump from a plane. And the next day, they, come, they called back and said, we want to talk about this jumping from the plane. All right? We, we decided that we will do it under certain conditions. Okay, what are the conditions? We need to know that the plane will fly as slow as possible. <laughs> and they said, well, we always try to fly slow when our men are jumping from the planes. We always try to do that. We'll fly as slow as possible. And we need to know that we're going to be jumping into soft dirt and not into rocks. He said, okay, well, I think we can do that. It's right near a forest. There should be marshy ground there. Yeah, uh, we can do that too. And we need to know that the plane's not going to be flying more than 100 feet high. <laughs> he said, sir, we can't do that because you, your parachutes will get caught up in the, in the plane. He said, parachutes? You didn't say anything about parachutes. We thought we just, you just wanted us to jump. <laughs> But parachutes would do anything. <laughs> the Gurkhas. It's a powerful thought when you have the kind of oomphs, the oompa, if you will, kind of oomph, that you would do anything for the cause. Anything for the cause. The law of Christ is that he will do anything for the cause he was marching in step with his father. You march in step with your leaders. You will find the greatest heroic things come from your life. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Philippians 2, 3. I'm almost finished. Would you say it with me? You have preached, you have preached. The, truth. the truth. All right. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So with this, I want to say, magnify others' needs and minimize your own. I work alone, brother. I'm just kidding. Magnify others' needs and minimize your own. Because... If you're always magnifying your own needs, you can't see anybody else's needs because your needs hurt. Are you hearing me? If you're focused on your own needs, you can't possibly see anybody else's. But if you focus on somebody else's needs, yours don't hurt as bad. Amen. They just don't hurt as bad. Somebody told me a story about a little boy who was a perfect match for his little sister who needed a kidney transplant. So they pull him in there and ask him, Joey, would you donate your kidney to your little sister? He thought about it. He prayed about it. He said, yes, I'll do it. On the day of surgery, they're wheeling him in. He looks up at his mama and said, goodbye, goodbye, mama. 
I'll see you in heaven. He said, Mama said, no, Joey, you're not going to die. Well, you said my sister can't live without a kidney. How am I going to live without a kidney? <laughs> said, you have two. He said, oh, that's good news right there. <laughs> I'll see you when I wake up. Magnify others' needs. Minimize your own. The willingness of a Christian is well documented throughout history. The willingness of Christians to stand up for what is right, to die for others' needs, to give for others' needs, to live for others' needs. This fulfills the law of Christ like nothing else. And finally, Ephesians 4, 29 let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind, be ye kind one to another. Miss Ann, could you sing it with me? Be ye kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you to to twiddly do. Ephesians 4.32. <laughs> Our children heard that song just before we beat them. <laughs> they got one chance. <laughs> <laughs> be, be, be kind. I'm going to say the last thing to you today I want to say is marshal your own feelings. Marshal your own feelings. If you take control of your feelings, if you do not take control of your feelings, they will take control of you. You put them in line. You marshal your feelings, your emotions. And this fulfills the law of Christ to help you focus the positive energy of your own feelings toward other people today. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to speak to your people. I bless them today in Jesus' name with a, with a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. I thank you, Father, that you have given us the ability through the Spirit of Christ to marshal our own feelings, to magnify others' needs and minimize our own needs, to march and step with our leaders. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us the power to make our best friends, those in the church. And but mainly, we, Lord, we want to thank you that you've given us the ability and the power to maintain close fellowship with the local church. Thank you for the church. Thank you. We determined here today that we're going to be plovers. We're going to be some other plovers. We're going to make a difference in this world. We're going to see miracles happen because we bind together. And we're going to hear from the from the scriptures how beautiful, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. It's like the oil of anointing flows down from Aaron's beard. The oil of anointing that broke every yoke and set every burden free. We thank you for this today in Jesus' matchless name.